All around the world, people are floundering. There's something missing, something more that they just can't grasp. Do you feel it too? Welcome to the Higher Purpose Podcast. Every week, host Kevin Monroe will help you navigate to your true north and flourish in faith, business, and life. You found us for a reason. Stay tuned to find out why. Hey, it's Kevin Monroe, and I want to welcome you to Episode 7 of the Higher Purpose Podcast. Let me give you a little background that sets up the conversation I'm inviting you to today. A few weeks ago, I had the opportunity to hear Danielle Strickland speak at our church, Woodstock City Church in Woodstock, Georgia. On that Sunday, as I was sitting there listening to Danielle, I was tweeting like crazy. And all of a sudden, I realized, wow, what a kindred spirit this person is. And so I reached out to Danielle, and that set up the opportunity for us to speak with her today. Danielle Strickland, she's an officer in the Salvation Army. She's also an ambassador for Stop the Traffic, a global anti-human trafficking campaign. She's also an ambassador for Compassion International. She's author of five books, her latest being The Ultimate Exodus, Finding Freedom from What Enslaves You. I'm looking forward to talking to Danielle about the things I've heard her discuss and read in her book. The power of normal things to, to change and have a supernatural impact on others. And then parallels between our lives and the life of Moses. So join me as we sit down to talk to Danielle Strickland. So Danielle, what, uh, what's something in your background or bio that doesn't always get shared and told when you're being introduced to an audience that would help us to know you better? What is something in my background and bio that doesn't always get told? Wow. Uh, that I don't cook or can't. Um, that's for sure. Uh, that I love movies. I love, I love stories. I'm a sucker for a good story. So movies tend to do that for me as well as books. Um, that I broke my nose seven times before I was 12 in various adventuresome pursuits uh wow like that yeah wow. yeah okay um seven times yeah crazy right from Just playground mishaps to football tackles to uh basketball you know just very sports mm. i was a very big sports enthusiast i still am a exercise enthusiast okay daniel how do you describe your purpose um, I, I usually describe my purpose um, as following Jesus uh, in the beautiful redemption strategy God has um, and playing a part in that strategy. So the redemptive plan that God has for the world, I think that God created the world to flourish and that he invites followers of his to be part of that flourishing. That's I mean, that's long, but I would just say to follow Jesus is the big plan. And the, the, what that looks like is to participate in the flourishing of the earth, bringing wholeness and healing and reconciliation and, and life and all its fullness. 
Okay, I, I wanted you to unpack flourishing. You started there. Flourishing is a rich and beautiful word, is it not? Yeah. So what is. else is, is wrapped up in flourishing as you think about it? Well, in a Hebrew concept, of course, the word is shalom. Uh, that what I'm referring to is shalom, which is everything in its beauty and its fullness and its wholeness. It's things being made right in themselves, but also in between themselves and others which is actually one of the most beautiful definitions of shalom that I've found is the rightness between things. Mm. Think about that. That's amazing, isn't it? Between earth and humanity, between human tribe and tribe. Between, I mean, in yeah. today's world, in America particularly, wouldn't it be beautiful to see shalom established? Wouldn't it? In America, Ooh. rightness between things. Um, and so the flourishing of the earth is this idea that it wasn't meant to be shriveled or destroyed or you know, it's not going to burn up one day and we're all going to be floating up to the sky and Jesus is going to rescue. I don't believe that. I believe that the Hebrew scriptures are really clear that God made the earth and humanity to flourish and that that's what he's after still. And yet you and I know massive amounts of people that aren't flourishing. I, I think I see them floundering instead of flourishing. Um, Danielle is the author of five books. Her latest is The Ultimate Exodus, subtitle, Finding Freedom from What Enslaves You. So I'm going to make a couple of references to passages from that book to, to use as springboards for our discussion. In the book, you wrote, our task in life is to come into agreement with God about who we are. Th this understanding that our value comes from God and not from ourselves or the world around us is liberating at our core. W would you talk to us some about your journey of coming into agreement about with God about who you are? Absolutely. I mean, I, I really believe that that's kind of a key thing for everybody is once we realize that we were created in God's image, you know, so this is this Christian philosophy called Imagio Deo, which is that every person's been created in the image of God. Uh, this really kind of drove home for me when I was, because I, I believe that when you give into oppression, no matter what kind it is, or like even things, systemic things like slavery, happen when people do not see the image of God in other people. Because once you see the image of God in everybody, things like equality and uh, things like humility and things like, you know, self-esteem and courage and bravery and beauty, all of those things are part of the image of God. So once you don't, when you don't see the image of God in people, you begin to commodify people. People are just, you can put a price tag to their worth, their values equated with what they can do instead of who they are. So instead of it being intrinsic, it's external. And most of us grew up um, in a world where our value was measured by what we accomplished, particularly successful people. I find this a lot. The, the more successful you are, almost the more empty you are, because you keep thinking that the next thing that you do will fulfill uh, your value. It'll give you value and purpose and meaning because you still think your value, purpose, and meaning is outside of yourself. But this understanding, when you come into agreement with God about who you are, what I mean is the image of God is in you, that you were created. So I, I put my son Moses to bed. I named my son Moses. That's how serious I am about the Exodus story. And um, I would put him to bed at night since he's been about two, two years old. And I would say, Moses, who made you? And Moses would say, God made me. And I say, yeah, and how did he make you? And Moses would look up at me and he'd say, he made me good. Mm. And whenever I would do that, especially in the early days, something would happen in me when he, he would say he made me good. And I would like tear up 
And I would say he sure did, Moses. He made you fearfully. He made you wonderfully. He made you beautifully. He made you with purpose. Like I would just keep affirming my son. But as I was affirming my son, I realized what was happening is I was affirming how God made me too. And that's when I realized that I actually don't think I grew up believing that. I think I grew up believing that I was bad, actually. And I think I grew up believing that I was distorted and I, there was something wrong with me. And for me, that belief fueled um, in my own life, rebellion, addiction, fear, you know, just isolation. It fueled all these terrible things because if you believe that you're bad, then you act accordingly. You, you act at what you believe is true. Your actions always follow belief. So getting this idea, you know, getting this really radical revolutionary idea that my value is not external, it's internal and it's intrinsic, that God did indeed made me, make me exactly as I am. And he made me good. Mm-hmm. He made me with the purpose to, to flourish. He made me, you know, well, fearfully, wonderfully, creatively, beautifully. Mm-hmm. And once I started really figuring that out, then my actions uh, followed. And how has that liberated you? Well, it's liberated. I mean, it's still liberating me. Mm-hmm. It's liberating me from a tyranny of to-do lists that are never done. It's liberated me from thinking that numbers equate to um, value. You know, it, it's liberated me from being driven by my work um, instead of driven by purpose and meaning. It's liberated me from uh, pride. And it's liberated me from servitude, mm. you know, sort of both extremes. It's, I, I feel like, and it's still liberating me to this right. day. It's liberating me to take a Sabbath. It's literally, it's liberating me not to be in such a rush all the time. Not the tyranny of the urgent. I'm not a slave. I'm free. Uh, I mean, I, I, it's liberated me to be uh, honest and authentic in relationships so I don't have to please people to find value. I can just be honest and loving and kind and do my best. It's liberated me from having to fix people. Um, I mean, I just, it's endless. It's yeah. endless. I mean, this is the rich liberation of which you speak. And I'm sure some, um, I, I'm sure some of you listening right now are rewinding to listen to this again, to, to get that part of liberation. And, and it's something we all long for deep within. Deep within, it, it's, a, it's, it's a longing in all of us. Another passage from the book, what if life isn't a competition about which of us is most important? What if every one of us is important? Freedom is found in this awakened understanding of our purpose. Slavery by contrast, starts with a temptation to forget who we really are and why we are here. So you've started down this road. Let's go a little further because this is a radical concept. It's also incredibly countercultural to the messages that we are bombarded with on an hourly basis. Yeah, and you see, I mean, this is a really interesting thing because it goes back when when the people um, of God were oppressed by Egypt and Babylon, you know, they always had this enemy that would oppress them and they would get captured, they'd get taken, they'd get stuck in the cycle. That's when Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible. So that's when kind of that primary story of Genesis, creation, the Exodus story of freedom, 
and sort of how to live in community, those were all written while the Israelites were in the cycle of oppression and um, always comparing themselves to other nations. And then they would take on the other nation's gods because they wanted to be like them. And then that would lead to their oppression. And then they'd need to cry out to God and God would free them. And then they'd feel like inferior to other nations because they didn't have, you know, whatever. And then they would try to, so it's this competitive idea, this like external value system, the successes in all of the external things. It's in the gold, it's in the glory rather than in themselves. And so they, they traded all this stuff. And th- th- this is the nature of oppression, that mm-hmm. somehow the answer lies outside of us. Mm. And uh, that's every oppression if you trace it down to itself. So addiction, I'm going to get relief by using. You know, it's outside of me. It's the alcohol. Mm. It's the whatever, sex. It's the relationship's going to give me. And every addict will tell you that, you know, work you know, the next job, the next promotion, you know, whichever it is. I mean, I, I don't, I, I don't, addictions, no, uh, you know, no respecter of persons and it comes in all kinds of shapes and sizes. Uh, I come from a Christian heritage. My parents are both ministers and uh, they, they never stopped working and actually they were applauded for it. Mm. You know, it was good work that they did, which is even trickier because it's good work. It's even harder to stop, which in my line of work is very difficult um, to figure out. But as a result, you're enslaved to your work, you know, which is one of the great, which is one of the great ways that oppression gets to you become oppressed by the very things that you're looking because you're actually looking for success in what you're doing rather than in who you are. Mm-hmm. And anyway, when the Israelites were stuck in this cycle, Moses wrote not how to get free, he wrote who you are. He wrote Genesis. Mm. He said, I know what's going to solve this problem. Not 10 steps to freedom, but one story of creation, one radical story that will help you understand who God is and who you are. And when you get those things right, everything else will follow. And I call it a great uncovering, you know, a great, like you said, rewinding to listen, but also just rewinding what we've learned because we, it's, it's an uncovering. So in the scripture, one of the words in the new Testament, it said, Jesus came to undo the work of the enemy or destroy the work of the enemy. Mm. And the word destroy there is a Greek image. That means when a sweat, that, 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 the image is like of a sweater that's unraveling, you know, when you pull a string on a sweater, and it just keeps, and you're like, don't pull that, don't pull that. Your mother's like, don't pull that. The whole sweater will come apart. And that's what that word means is that Jesus, what he does is he unravels mm. the false story we believed. He unravels the oppression. He unravels the things that we used to believe until what's left is what's true. And what's underneath all the oppression, all the oppression that we live, all the fears that we have, all the lies we believe. You know, all the things, the faces that we put on, what's underneath all that is this beautiful person that God made good. Mm. And it's about uncovering this, this identity, this who you are. And from that place flows unmeasurable amounts of freedom. Mm. Yeah. As you were talking about the uncovering, I was also thinking about all, all of the unlearning right. that a Companies that because we've learned so many things about ourselves about how we think life works yes uh, and what we think meaning and identity where they're found so there a lot of unlearning accompanies that 
Well, and that's one of the, actually one of the chapters in the book is about Moses's journey of unlearning. You know, this is a really interesting thing, but Moses goes, we all think when we're reading the story of the Exodus, by the way, that, you know, Moses, he's this uh, oppressed people group. He's this little helpless baby and he gets floated down the Nile and the princess of Egypt finds him and takes him in the palace. And then we're all thinking, because we this story sounds familiar, is that, oh, that's the strategic place that God's going to use him from a place of power. So he gets adopted by this Egyptian power, you know, the power people. Mm-hmm. And you think, oh, this is it. This is perfect. This oppressed guy grows up in a palace. And then from the palace, he will evoke some sort of powerful. But actually, that's not how it goes. It's at, that he has to flee the palace go back to the desert. He has to unlearn the glory of Egypt and the way that he was raised in Egypt until he's back to being a shepherd, which by the way, is how the Israelites first came to Egypt. They were shepherds. And it's not until he's back to being a shepherd, a lowly shepherd in the desert that God then comes and says, I've got a job for you. Okay. And for those that may not be familiar with the story, Provide a little of the detail of the story of the, the narrative there with Moses. What, what was the encounter that happened? That's yeah, so if, if you desert? haven't read the, the book of Exodus, you could easily rent the Prince of Egypt and have a quick look yourself. Uh, Steven Spielberg did a fantastic job. Or There's a, a latest one out, too, with Christian Bale, I think, in the lead. It's, it's you know, so the Exodus is the story of humanity. It's our story. It's never going to get old. So whether you're a believer or not, you know, whether you're a faith follower of Jesus or not, it doesn't matter. The Exodus story is a story of humanity and God and how this whole thing works and how God has this plan and this DNA built into all of humans to be free. That's why oppression doesn't fit you. Hmm. Uh, it doesn't fit anyone. It doesn't fit a culture. It doesn't fit an age. It doesn't fit a person. It doesn't fit relationships. You weren't born for oppression. You were born for freedom. And so the story is of most of the Israelites who move to Egypt, they become assimilated into a culture that begins to oppress them. They cry out to God. Meanwhile, there's this character named Moses, probably one of the prominent character in history. And he uh, gets raised by the Egyptians. He's this orphaned, uh, surviving baby at a time where there was a genocide of Israel uh, babies. And he's saved. He's delivered. His name means saved from the water. Uh, and he is raised in the palace and then he sees the injustice uh, and a specific injustice being done to one of the fellow Israelites, one of his people. And he responds in anger and he ends up killing, accidentally killing the Egyptian that was responsible for the, the injustice. And he flees for his life. Mm -hmm. Uh, And he really adopts a brand new life in the desert. He gets married. He meets a, a, apparently a singing father-in-law And uh, they settle down in the desert and that's when he sees it. He sees a burning bush and burning bushes, by the way, were super common in the desert. This is a really interesting fact because we all, we use the term even burning bush, like it's this miraculous thing, but burning bushes happened all the time in the desert because it's so hot that bushes would combust. You know, literally they just catch on fire. But Moses saw that this was unlike every other burning bush because the bush wasn't burning up the fire kept going. And so he went over, the scripture says, to look at what was going on with this specific bush. And when he went over to look, he had this encounter with God, where God spoke to him and then invited him to free his people. And thus begins this like long, several chapters where Moses tries to convince God that he's got the wrong guy 
because he already tried and failed. And now he's finally moved on with his life and he's having a fairly comfortable one. And God is saying, this is not your life. You're called to something greater than this. And these people must be free. This is my DNA for them. And so finally Moses relents and he goes with God on this adventure to bring freedom from Pharaoh, who's, you know, the largest slave trader at the time, uh, to, to bring freedom for his people. And that's where you begin to have these epic stories of the plagues mm-hmm. that uh, plagued Pharaoh to let the people go and the Red Sea parting and then 40 years in the desert. You know, once Israel gets out of Egypt, it takes about 40 years to get Egypt out of Israel. Yeah. And, uh, and a story of freedom. And so there's one parallel that you draw out in the book that I believe every listener has or can relate to. And that is that Moses was settling for less than what he was really created for. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because this is... This is a human tendency is that we choose comfort and we choose ease and we don't want angst and we don't want to fight and and we don't want to confront, you know, we don't want to be the ones that cause the fuss. I mean, we want to be like, we just want to live our life. I just want a flat screen TV and a Netflix account. And I want to like have some fun time with my family, like, you know, and, and you see this with Moses, as a matter of fact, in the narrative um, Moses's father-in-law and Zipporah, his wife, they're kind of like upper class. Right. Uh, and so in some ways, like when you first read the story, you think, oh, he's, you know, oh, wow, too bad he's in the debt. Like he's, he's in a bad spot. But actually, when you look into it, he's actually in a really good spot. He's done really well for himself. And he's, I mean, he's going to inherit the, the tribe. He's going to be the tribal leader next. And, um, so he has a lot to lose and mostly what he has to lose is his comfort, yeah. you know, and his wealth, uh, and his inheritance, you know, and this is the invitation God gives to Moses is, do you want to come confront Pharaoh, which looks like a completely lost cause. And Moses even says, even my people don't want me to do this. Like he's not even highly thought of by his people. So this is going to be very similar. You can hear the echoes if you read the story right to what Jesus comes and does. Because Jesus is sort of like a deliverer. He's like Mo- Moses is, a, a, is an example of what Jesus has come to do. And so when Jesus comes to earth, he says the same thing to the disciples. You know, do you want to embrace a life of rejection and of pain? And of confrontation, but the results of living that life will be that people will be free, lost people will be found, you know, people will find meaning who have no meaning, there'll be a confrontation of power, <laughs> you know, like this will this will change the world forever, but it will cost you to do it, you want in on that, that plan. And that's the invitation, it's really interesting, to trade in comfort, ease, wealth, accumulation of wealth for freedom purpose, changing the world, meaning. That's a, that's a big trade. It is a big trade. Okay, there's a, one other parallel. And, and when I heard you share this story and then read it in the book, I, I knew I had found a kindred spirit there. You were talking about the parallels between Moses and your friend Jan. And, right. And would right. you share that story with us? And, and what we can all learn from God's encounter with Moses? 
Yeah, this is, I mean, that's one of my favorite stories because I think sometimes we make Moses, we make all the stories, even in history, we make these narratives really big around people and it's unreachable. It's unreachable. You know, right. we couldn't possibly be Moses because Moses must have been untouchable. And you forget that Moses was just a guy. He's just a man like every other man with the same struggles and the same. And even Jesus, the scripture says, was a man in full human flesh. So we kind of make it impossible, I think, because it gets us off the hook. But Jan was this uh, retired Baptist lady in Melbourne. I was stationed there with the Salvation Army doing social justice. And we were trying to combat human trafficking, particularly sex human trafficking. And um, that was happening through the legalized brothel system there. But we weren't quite sure how to deal with it. We weren't sure how to get into the legalized brothels. And uh, Jan called me one day and she said, I need to meet with you. And we had coffee and she explained her situation that her phone number was two digits different than the local brothel's phone number. So she kept getting all these very uncomfortable calls and her husband got a few. And finally they just decided this is ridiculous. We're just going to change our number. And on the morning she was going to change her number, she said she was reading her Bible in the more in her morning devotions and God interrupted her, which I thought was quite rude. And basically said to her, why are you changing your number? And Jan said, well, I keep getting these calls. And God said, I know. I thought you might do something about it. <laughs> and so Jan met with me over coffee and she said, what? I don't understand. Like I was going to do something about it, but what I was going to do about it was change my number. But now I feel like I sh I'm actually supposed to do something about the brothel. What should I do? And I remember inside thinking to myself, like, I don't know, like, you know, like I, I have no idea what to do. Like what's wrong with you Australians? Why did you legalize sex? Number one. But like, I, I literally, I'm just kind of panicking on the inside because I've never really used a retired Baptist lady as a strategic means to enter a brothel before. So I don't, I don't know, but I just went for the brainstorm option. You know, when you don't know what to do, just like, you know, what's the next normal thing to do. So I said to her, look, if, if you were just on your street, a new neighbor moved in, or your neighbor was in an accident, or something weird happened on your street, somebody was in need, what would your natural response be? Like, what would you do just normally, not even thinking about it? She said, oh, that's easy. I would bake cupcakes and I would go visit. And I said, that sounds perfect. Let's just do the natural thing. Let's do the normal thing. Let's do the thing you would naturally do. And she said, that's the official strategy. I said, yeah. <laughs> so we met on a Tuesday and um, she baked these beautiful cupcakes and we met, we prayed together and we went to visit the local neighborhood brothel. And I remember her saying to me that morning, you know, I, I've been baking these and praying all weekend. And she said, I really felt like God told me I should do this. And I remember I was in my Salvation Army uniform and I said, no, no, like I'm the professional, you know. And Jan said to me, yeah, but I'm the neighbor. Wow. And when she said that, I was reminded, you know, of what Jesus said, that this is actually how the world would change is that if you loved your neighbor as yourself, hmm. that neighbors, normal neighbors were the ones that were going to do all the work. And so I remember going, wow, neighbor always trumps professional. But I said, I'm still going because I didn't want to like, you know, leave her on uh, alone. I just didn't trust it. I was like, I don't want Jan. I don't want a retired Baptist lady dying on my watch, you know, so we walked over together. She knocked on this brothel door. I'm praying a storm up, you know, at the foot of the stairs. And I'll never forget. She's so nervous, you know, never did this before. She knocks on the door and this brothel manager comes to the door because she's not their normal clientele. And he says, can I help you? And she just puts these, she puts these cupcakes up shaking, you know, she just puts up these cupcakes and she says, I brought cupcakes. <laughs> 
<laughs> and this guy goes, oh, cupcakes, you know, come on in. And uh, forever in my mind, you know, I can see this like demonic superpower, you know, this pharaoh of sexual exploitation over Australia going, you know, no, not the cupcakes. <laughs> Because uh, she just she went in there and she got everyone's name and she said I'm I'm your neighbor I'm sorry I haven't been here sooner I want you to know I'm thinking of you praying for you and I'm gonna come every Tuesday and visit you and say wow. hi I'd like to if you ever want a meal at an Australian's house my house is available and she came out of that brothel floating I'm not even kidding you she just was so thrilled she got to pray with the girls and I ran back to Salvation Army headquarters I called ten of my craziest friends and I said we've got to get organized the Baptists are going to beat us to the brothels, you know, and we orchestrated these visitation teams, literally armed with cupcakes. It's called cupcakes connection. This wow. ministry. Wow. And we found out years later that the specifically the Asian brothels don't even like the cupcakes. They don't even eat them. Wow. Uh, it's got nothing to do with the baked goods and everything to do with the willingness of normal everyday people to see invisible people, to hear the cry and to go and introduce ourselves and to say, hi, I'm here. I'm my neighbor. I'm someone who cares. I'm available. How can I help? Mm. And uh, it started this uh, 68 brothels are visited every week now in 12 different languages. The Australian Federal Police have gotten you know, connected. We've testified at parliamentary he hearings to stop sex trafficking. I mean, it just morphed into this beautiful strategy to reach women uh, inside the sex industry. And it all happened because of one wow. grandma. And, and to close the loop for those that are going, well, how does this connect to Moses? What was the encounter Moses had that's just like the encounter Jan had? Yeah. So Moses gets asked by God when he gets past the why, which is, by the way, a great place to get to in your life. When you get past the why me, or why not me? Or, you know, you're stuck in this why, which is a, a, an endless cycle. You get to the how. And Moses says to God, okay, I get, okay, I, I'm never going to answer why me, but, but how's this going to work? Because Pharaoh is this big, strong, terrible tyrant, and I'm this little tiny shepherd. And God says to Moses, what's in your hand? It's what he asks him next, which is really fascinating. Moses looks down and he goes, oh, I have this shepherd's staff in my hand. You know, like, so what? Every shepherd has a shepherd's staff. And God says to Moses, you know, why don't we start with that? Mm. And literally all through the story, every time Moses doesn't know what to do, he looks down at his hand and he goes, oh yeah, I have the shepherd's staff. And he, you know, his first encounter with Moses, he throws the staff down, it becomes a snake. You know, he puts the staff in the water, the water parts. He holds the staff up, the plagues begin. You know, the staff, what's in your hand is the strategy that God wants to use to overthrow uh, the enemy. And this is, this is exactly what Jan does. And by the way, this is the strategy I've seen over and over and over again. Once people get past why, then we ask God how, and God says, what's in your hand? Some people, they've had finances in their hand. They write a check mm -hmm. and that check begins to deliver freedom to people. Some mm -hmm. people have neighborliness in their hands. Some people have cupcakes in their hands. Some people have like play groups in their hands. Some people have the houses in their hands. I mean, I could go on and on and on with the way that people have just used what they have. Right. And what they have has been this instrument of incredible power in the hands of God. But one point that I don't want you to overlook, you listening, is you have something in your hand. Everyone has something in their hand. Right, Danielle? Absolutely. And... 
you know, beautiful things, beautiful things. And actually this is back to our beginning flourishing Mm -hmm. things that you were made specifically to flourish in like a meal. Lots of you are fantastic at cooking a meal. Can you imagine just inviting someone over for dinner that is excluded from the rest of the world? The kind of power that one act has to transform somebody's life. A, a, A refugee family that might need a reference or a job or, I mean, on and on this goes. I mean, this is just, it's just kind of endless, really. It's a beautiful thing. Once you understand that not only do you have something in your hand, and this is the thing that, that really struck me with Moses. I used to think that God used whatever's in your hand because he can, you know, like just in spite of whatever it is. And that's when I, when I used to believe that. But now I believe after watching this and after studying the book of Exodus a little bit more that God made Moses to be a shepherd mm. specifically because he wanted to use a shepherd to overthrow a king. And this is true of all of us, that God made you specifically with gifts and with skills and with abilities. And it's not like he's using you in spite of yourself. He's using you because of yourself. He's using you because that's how he created you, because he created you good. And he made you with purpose and with meaning and all of the things that he's made you to do. If you'll do those things for the freedom of other people, it actually is the recipe for changing the world. Mm. So our time's coming to a close. Before we, we go, let me, let me, two more questions. Uh, what's been a defining moment on your pathway to purpose? Yeah, I have so many defining moments. Um, honestly, like just really beautiful defining moments in my life. There's one that happened in a jail cell. Uh, where a, a woman from the Salvation Army came to visit me when I was dead yeah, to the You were world. in the jail cell at this point. You were right. not I the was, one visiting. Right. I was dead. I was cold-hearted. I was drug-addicted and not interested really in life. And uh, this woman came to visit me in the jail cell and uh, loved me unconditionally. And in that act, what she had in her hand, uh, I had an encounter with Jesus that then just redefined my whole life when I realized that he was for me, not against me. That was a big deal for me. Um, I had another defining moment. I went on a mission trip a couple, probably about a year later after detox and <clears throat> some treatment. I went on a mission trip to Africa. I had an accidental moment where I ended up helping someone encounter God by accident. It wasn't on purpose. And it's a long story, but it's a fun one. And, um, and that literally I got for the first time that God didn't just want to save me you know what I mean? From myself. He didn't want to just save me from something. He wanted to save me for something Mm. that changed everything for me. I realized that he was inviting me to participate in something beyond me. This wasn't just about what I could gain. This Mm. was about what the world could gain if I wanted to join him. That changed the trajectory of my whole entire life. And, uh, I've had some really beautiful defining moments even since then, um, that have, reminded me who I am and the beautiful invitation, gracious invitation that God gives all of his children, including me to participate Mm. in this beautiful thing called redeeming the earth. Mm. Mm. For those people, for, for the person listening right now, for whom life has been tough and they're in a very tough place at this very moment, what, what would you say to them? 
I always say a couple of things. One, God made you. He made you good. You are not alone. Yeah. And those are probably like the key underneath all of this oppression and fear and uh, circumstances is this beautiful child that God loves, that God purposes for, that God dreams for, that God has a future for. And you're not alone. We're all those children. We've all been in those circumstances and we've all been in those places. Many of us, uh, you know, to depths and God has rescued us and we have come out of those places and, and we've been unraveled in all the right ways. And um, so can you. It's not too late and it's not too hard for God. And so I always usually say, find somebody. Find a place where you're not alone. Church can sometimes be that place. Sometimes church is not that place. Sometimes it's found in a recovery room. Uh, sometimes it's found in a small group. Sometimes it's found in a neighbor that you know that really loves you and cares about you. Sometimes it's found in a friend. Sometimes it's found in a phone call on FaceTime, whatever it is. Uh, we have this beautiful thing. I'm a part of every every week of my life. I, I meet with a friend in this, uh, this program, this system called Infinitum. Uh, if you're interested in more information about that, infinitumlife.com. And it's a means of reminding us who we are. Every day I remind myself I do a daily prayer. And then once a week I meet with somebody who also reminds me that I'm human and that being human is beautiful and great and that I can practice my faith in a daily way that actually makes sense. It's not just something I believe. I don't want to be a hypocrite. I don't want to pretend like I'm better than myself. And I don't want to also think that I'm less than I am. I want to come into agreement with who I am and how God made me. And that happens on an everyday practice. And so we've developed some tools, a bunch of us who've been doing this for a long time, the, the, the tools that have best benefited us in terms of practicing our faith on a daily basis and, uh, and the practice seems to make, make better, getting yes, better and better at this every day. Yeah. Yes, it does. Well, Danielle, I hope you'll come back sometime and we'll get to talk about the work you're doing around oppression and freedom. That would be a great conversation. For folks that want more of you in their life, there's this infinitum life is one. Yes. And then life.com, but you can get to all those links. There's a, a bunch of other things that I'm involved in that I just love. Um, but daniellestrickland.com is probably the place where you could find where I'm speaking and what books I've written and where I'm blogging. And I have a podcast um, that I'm uh, doing. So whatever, if you're interested, those are some places where you can keep track. Yeah. All right. Thank you so much for joining us, Danielle. Thanks, Kevin. Appreciate it. Hey, I hope you've enjoyed this conversation with Danielle Strickland. I was thinking about the takeaways that stood out to me from the conversation. There are three that I want to call to your attention. One of those is the, the comment that was almost in passing that the more successful you are, the more empty you may be. I know that I've had that experience in my life, and I know many other people that can identify to climbing the ladder of success only to realize that it's never enough. There's always something more. That leads to the second insight, that perhaps there's something you need to unlearn and relearn that will better serve you on your journey. And then the third insight, we spent a good bit of time talking about, like Jan, you have a gift. Like Moses, there's something in your hand that may not seem 
unique or special at all to you. But if you loosen your grip, present it with an open palm rather than a closed fist, it has great value for those around you. So what's in your hand and how can you use it to serve those around you and those that cross your path today? I want to thank you for joining us for this episode of the Higher Purpose Podcast. Coming up next is a short series on purpose at work. And I want to thank everyone that has taken time to leave a review of this podcast. We're still in the early phases. So if you have thoughts that you'd like to share with others, please feel free to add your review to those. It's one of the best things you can do to help others find this podcast. And you can also share it with them. Until next time, remember, you were meant for more. Why would you ever settle for less?